On April 28th, thousands of Colombians came out in protest of a tax proposal put forth by President Ivan Duque. But almost immediately, things escalated. Protesters and the police face off in Bogota as demonstrations against government proposed tax reforms turn violent. Now, those protests have turned into a movement over some of Colombia's most deep-seated inequalities. A new poll has found Duque to be Colombia's least popular president on record. And protesters have vowed to stay in the streets. Colombia has lost its fear and will keep on protesting until there is a real change, because if not, we'll keep suffering. We have a duty to future generations. So what's behind Colombia's month of unrest? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. A very diverse group of people have been protesting in a number of cities and also rural areas across Colombia. That's Al Jazeera's Alessandro Rampiatti speaking to us from Bogota, Colombia's capital. He's been covering the protests for weeks now. This started as an anti-tax reform protest by unions and uh, sort of billowed now in a nationwide unrest against poverty, inequality, corruption, and also police abuses against the protesters. The protests began when those unions Alessandro mentioned called for a national strike against the tax proposal put forth by President Duque. So this tax reform essentially, among other things, taxed some very basic food items, other things that would have affected the poorest in the country. And this just helped spark people's anger. Several days before the protest started, a journalist asked Colombia's finance minister in an interview, how much do a dozen eggs cost? His guess was about a fourth of their actual price. And Colombians were outraged, especially given how much their economic reality has changed since the pandemic began. Colombia has always been one of the most unequal countries in, in the world. This is nothing new. But I think that the pandemic has just made things much worse in the country. Over the last year, millions of Colombians fell under the poverty line. And altogether, a staggering 42.5% of the country is now impoverished. For a lot of people, life has just become unbearable. They are not able to eat three times a day. And this has probably explains the anger and, and the fact that they just could not tolerate the situation as it is anymore. After a few days of protest, the finance minister resigned and President Duque stepped back on his proposal. I am asking Congress to withdraw the law proposed by the finance ministry and urgently process a new law that is the fruit of consensus in order to avoid financial uncertainty. The reform is not a whim. The reform is a necessity. But despite that withdrawal, the protests have continued. 
this has become almost an unprecedented generational explosion of anger, in particular by Colombia's youth. They want structural change in the country, and they're also facing a very weak government and a weak president. So I think many people feel that this is the moment to stay on the streets and be able to achieve this change that they're hoping for. Most of the people on the streets are not really looking for uh, handouts, but they're looking for opportunities and they really want to see a, a different country. The images that have been circulating of these protests have been quite dramatic. So take me back through your journey with covering them. The first few days, what I think was surprising was the police response. During the day, most of these uh, demonstrations have been massive and peaceful. But later in the afternoon and evening, we started seeing the more uh, radical demonstrators on the streets confronting the police. And that's when the police moved in with, at time extreme violence. And these turned into riots, uh, went on for hours, and the police responded at time just shooting indiscriminately against these young protesters. And this helped increase the anger of the people on the streets, forcing more people to come out and participate in these protests. So if the idea of the police or the Minister of Defense or the government was to try and stop these protests at the beginning, the effect was the opposite. Over the course of the protests, people have shared dozens of videos on social media of the crackdown from police. We heard from someone who's been looking into many of these accounts. My name is Cameron Lopez Duarte. Cam Aaron works for Temblores, a Colombia-based human rights NGO investigating police violence during the protests. This has been a very hard time. I personally feel frustrated because there's a limit to my actual range of action, of course. I am not equipped to go on the streets when I receive a police violence report that is happening in the moment. It is just not safe. Cam Aaron says Temblores has been gravely concerned by the reports they've received, including some detailing sexual violence by police. So to see human rights being violated by the actual police is just devastating. I mean, seeing someone who should be meant to take care of you hit chase, sexually assault, and kill you and your people instead is just shattering. And Timblores is pushing for structural reforms to policing in Colombia, including the removal of ISMAD, the riot police. Alessandro said ISMAD has become a flashpoint during these protests. Most of people's anger is towards the so-called ISMA, which has notoriously been aggressive against social protest in the country. One of the reasons probably is the fact that this force, and in general, Colombia's police, is a force that was created to fight a war. Unlike in most countries in Latin America, the police is not controlled by the Minister of Interior, but it operates under the Minister of Defense, just like the army. And this is one of the things the protesters are asking to change. 
Also, I think it's important to say that Colombia's police has been used and is still being used to fight rebel forces in the country, to fight drug trafficking organizations. So they are trained for war and to fight internal enemies. And they're just now learning to deal with massive protests and demonstrations, which is something that Colombia wasn't really used to seeing until recently. Like Alessandro mentioned, Colombia has been embroiled in armed conflict for years, most notably with the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or FARC. In 2016, the government signed a peace deal with FARC after more than 50 years of fighting. In many ways, Colombia's internal conflict between the state and rebel forces in the country overwhelmed the possibility for a traditional protest to happen by the citizens. And for a long time, you know, this was also the excuse, the internal conflict for the national government sort of ignore the structural problems that existed in Colombia. And often protesters that came out were stigmatized as being rebel uh, sympathizers or being controlled by these rebel forces to come out and protest against the government. Does that mean that these protests that we're seeing now are the biggest that you've witnessed? Yeah, these are probably the biggest and also enduring for the longest time. We're now looking at a month of continuous protests, uh, a number of locations that have been set up as sort of resistance hubs where young people essentially spend most of their day. The, the community helps them with food and assistance, etc. We see a lot of support, especially in poor neighborhoods, with people helping and assisting the youth on the streets. Alessandro shared one example of this from his reporting. We were filming at night in this area called Resistance Hub, which is one of the main bus stations in the south of the city, which is the poorest part of the city. As it has happened almost every night, at some point when the crowds thin out a bit, the police moves in. What followed was something that's become a typical confrontation between protesters and police, he says. Protesters will block a road, police will come in with force, protesters will throw rocks, and police will use tear gas and stun grenades on the protesters. But Alessandro says a couple things surprised him. First of all was the fact that these protesters resisted all of the police attacks in an almost suicidal manner. They don't seem to be afraid of what could happen to them. Talking to them, they'll tell you, we have nothing to lose, we are tired of the way the police treat us, and we're tired of being almost invisible to this government. And the other thing that surprised me is that people started coming out of their buildings And I thought they would have told me that they were tired of these protests continuing every night, of gases flying into their gardens, etc. And instead, they all came out 
telling us how the police had to stop, that the people on the streets were their kids, that they were fighting for everybody's rights. And uh, what I think this shows is just that the trust between the police and these communities has been completely broken. But that hasn't been the case universally. Some protesters have been confronted by fellow civilians. Can you share any stories about those clashes? Yeah, that hasn't happened here in Bogota. That has been in particular in Cali, which is Colombia's third largest city that is in the southwest of the country, is right on the border of what remains one of Colombia's main conflict area, the region of Cauca and the Pacific. It's also a a region where there is a history of paramilitary forces fighting in alliance with the, the Colombian military against rebel groups. And over the last few weeks, Cali has become one of the main hubs of unrest. On May 3rd, police opened fire onto a crowd of demonstrators, prompting a response from a spokesperson from the UN Office of Human Rights. We are deeply alarmed at developments in the city of Cali, Colombia, overnight, where police opened fire on demonstrators protesting against tax reforms, reportedly killing and injuring a number of people. Demonstrations have continued on in Cali, and protesters have set up blockades over major highways into the city. And we have seen, essentially, groups of vigilantes coming out and confronting protesters, trying to force them to remove roadblocks, attacking indigenous groups that had come to Cali to support the protest. And these were people that were organized. They came out with white SUVs, with white shirts, and their attack was against and openly against minorities and people that they see as inferior. And this is very worrisome. And there have been a number of reports of the police essentially letting them do what they were doing. And some of these people filmed themselves from their car shooting from the window of their car directly at the indigenous population. Videos of these kinds of attacks are floating around social media. And they're from a variety of perspectives, including, as Alessandro mentioned, from the point of view of the people holding the guns. And so it's as if they feel that their rights are superior to to, to other people or to other minorities in the country. The peace accords between the FARC and the government addressed some of the issues that people are protesting about today. Things like inequality and political participation. I asked Alessandro what happened. What happened is that, first of all, half of the country voted against those accords in a referendum. Then those accords were partly changed to respond to people's worry. And there's also been a change in government. Duque's predecessor, former President Juan Manuel Santos, signed those peace accords. But Duque's campaign for president centered on changing the agreement, 
which he said was too lenient towards the rebels. And then in general, many see the government of Ivan Duque uh, as a, a government that protects the interests of the most powerful Colombians, and in particular, those who are not interested in seeing the kind of reforms that this country needs, starting with the ownership of the land, also one of the most unequal in the world here in Colombia. But another effect of the peace accords, which Alessandro alluded to earlier, is that they opened up more space for dissent. In many ways, it reduced people's fear of exercising their constitutional right uh, to protest against the government to demand change. The demobilization of the rebels removed the, the stigma that was attached to public protest in Colombia. Even in these protests, the government, especially at the beginning, has insisted that these protests were organized by illegal armed group and not by a great majority of people demanding uh, a change. But that argument has become less and less convincing and, and people are just not buying it anymore. So the government and a committee of protesters have been in talks for a resolution to these protests. So what's the likelihood that protesters will see the kind of change that they're asking for? In the past, protesters feel that the government has never lived up to its promises. So they're very wary of what could come out. Also, I think it's important here to say that the committee that represents the protesters doesn't represent everybody who's out on the streets. They are a group of traditional unions and uh, university students' organizations, but they don't represent much of this disaffected youth that's really been the en engine of these protests. That said, they're also facing a very weak government. President Ivan Duque has been increasingly isolated during these protests. The latest poll has his approval rating at just 18%, with 76% of Colombians disapproving of him. I think this gives the protesters a unique opportunity to force the government to sit down and agree on a number of uh, reforms. You've said that some of the youth that you talked to wanted to see a new Colombia. What do they want to see that new Colombia look like? What are some of the values that they want to see in their country that they aren't seeing now? Well, they want to see a more peaceful country or a country where the promise of peaceful coexistence can really happen. This is something that Colombia has been trying to achieve for decades. And I think it's important to say that Colombia is a better country today than what it was 30 years ago, and a less violent one. And it had made progress in the reduction of poverty before this latest crisis. 
but it's definitely not enough for uh, the huge amount of people in this country that don't feel they have access to political representation, to an opportunity, to social mobility. So I think that's where the change has to come for these protesters. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai with Priyanka Tilvey, Nate Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Dina Kispe, and me, Malika Bilal. Tom Finton is our story editor. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Almilek is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back 